Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you will have access to all of our station's content. And please be sure to follow Joe and I on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Like, subscribe, share, hit the little bell for notifications, all that fun stuff. And today we are very pleased and honored to be welcoming back to our show, Father Boniface Hicks. And for those of you in the Veritas audience who are not familiar with Father, I'd like to give a brief introduction. Father Boniface Hicks, OSB, has been a monk of St. Vincent Arch Abbey since 1998. He has been involved with WAOB, We Are One Body radio station in Latrobe since its formation in 2010, and he presently serves as program director. In 2017, Father Boniface co-authored along with Father Thomas Acklin, OSB, the book, Spiritual Direction, A Guide for Sharing the Father's Love, published by Emmaus Road Publishing. He is a sought-after retreat master and spiritual director traveling throughout the United States and around the world as far as Beijing, China. And I just want to say that about his book, which is what we're going to be discussing today, Through the Heart of St. Joseph, Through the Heart of St. Joseph, this is what Father Don Calloway, MIC, uh, author of The Consecration of St. Joseph, had to say about this book, and then we'll get into it. Quote, a tremendous renewal of interest in St. Joseph is taking place in the church today. It is a movement of the Holy Spirit ushering in, excuse me, ushering in an unprecedented era of devotion to St. Joseph. Father Hicks has followed the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and and penned an incredible book through the heart of St. Joseph. It is packed with insights, wisdom and application and highlights the important message that God is speaking to the church today, namely, go to Joseph. I highly recommend this book. Now is the time of St. Joseph. Close quote, Father Boniface Hicks. Welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Thanks, Joe and Joe. Great to be with you. Awesome. Father, would you lead us in prayer before we get into the meat and potatoes of the book? Happily. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, out of particular care for our our eternal salvation, you brought about our redemption through a holy family entrusting Jesus to Mary and Joseph to form him and to prepare him for that ministry that led to his passion, death, and resurrection to redeem us, to redeem the world. Entrust us now to the care of those same parents, Mary and Joseph, that our humanity may be formed, that our redemption may be secured, that we may be the saints that you have created us to be. Send your Holy Spirit to guide us and our listeners as we spend this time together. And we ask all this through the intercession of Mary and Joseph and through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. 
Thank you for that, Father. It's a perfect way to start our conversation. Um, in doing research for this book, um, I came across this statement. I thought it was interesting, and I'd love for you to comment on it. It said, St. Joseph's vulnerability, littleness, silence, and hiddenness can transform and heal us. How so? Well, I, in, in the book, Through the Heart of St. Joseph, I wanted to really help people develop a relationship with that spiritual father. It's one thing to know a lot of things about him. And I, I've spent you know, a fair number of years with uh, some level of dedication, discovering, learning more about him. But I really wanted to help people form a relationship with him as our spiritual father, as the one who lived closest to Jesus for those 30 years of, of Jesus's life before his public ministry. And the pathways that by which we can come to develop a relationship with him are those, those four pathways, our littleness and our vulnerability, which meet the fatherhood of St. Joseph and the protection of St. Joseph. And then our hiddenness and our silence, which meet St. Joseph in his hiddenness and his silence. And so it transforms and heals us because it's by those pathways of vulnerability and littleness, of hiddenness and silence, that we can come to develop a relationship with this beautiful spiritual father, that we can come to know his protection and his loving care, that we can come to uh, appreciate and enter into his depth of prayer, his love for Jesus, his contemplative way of living, of working, of caring for those, uh, of carrying out his, his duty, his ministry. And so, really, by, by taking up those pathways, those are the pathways that we can affect. So, it's one thing, again, to think about who St. Joseph is, but then how do, what do we do in order to come to know him? And we all have those dimensions in our hearts. We, we all have the capacity to be vulnerable, and without it, it's impossible to form any relationship. But it's especially scary to be vulnerable in this world where we feel so threatened by so many things that are uh, powerful forces that can really sideline us or oppress us, that can hurt us and crush us. But in the presence of St. Joseph, we can become vulnerable. When we become vulnerable, we really draw him to ourselves. He's, a, he's attracted to our vulnerability, we might say. He's an expert at taking care of, of the vulnerable, as he does with the child and his mother under the divine commission given to him in a dream. Take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and you will be uh, the father of this child. You will name him Jesus. So these, the, the call of St. Joseph to protect the, uh, the vulnerable is, is also what draws him to us in our own vulnerability. So rather than walling up our vulnerability behind defenses, if we can bring our vulnerability to St. Joseph, we come to know his protection. And that's transforming. That's healing for us. The same thing with our littleness is as sophisticated, we're all grown adults, we've all done lots of things, but in every one of us, there's a little child. So there's a little child that wants to engage the world with awe and wonder, a little child that feels our own limitations and feels incapable of doing some of the things that we're required to do. A little child who gets scared of different things and wants to reach out to a parent who can care for us, a father who looks after us, a little child who has questions, well, who am I and am I loved and what is the purpose of my life? And bringing that littleness to St. Joseph, we can come to experience his fatherhood. He will be there for us. He will uh, bestow identity upon us. He will guide us. He will protect us. And then also as we grow in faith and maturity, we're invited to 
enter into a deeper hiddenness, not to be sort of blasted out at the surface, but also to cultivate great depths within, in hidden places that aren't just hemorrhaged out onto every kind of social media platform, but also a depth that, that nobody else sees except our Lord, except St. Joseph. St. Joseph had those hidden depths. He guarded the most sacred mysteries this world ever had in Mary and Jesus. The Immaculate Conception and the Incarnate Word were in the care of St. Joseph, and he hid them away from everyone, hid them in Egypt, hid them in Nazareth. Nobody knew that he had such great treasures. And in the same way, he can teach us to hide the mystery deep in our hearts, to protect it, to care for it, to cultivate it. And then the way of silence, which St. Joseph is so well known for, is a way for all of us, especially in our noisy world. There's a lot of talking going on. But when we enter into silence and we take in enough of the world, because actually we should be encountering enough of the world, we should be encountering enough of divine mysteries that we run out of words. There are no words adequate. Words begin to cheapen things which are greater than words can express. And when we're coming into the presence of God, words help us to get there, but then words keep us from going deeper at a certain point. And we have to let go of words and enter into a silent communion. And St. Joseph really teaches us to do that as well. So these pathways of vulnerability, littleness, hiddenness, and silence, they really can transform our spiritual lives, can heal our, our broken hearts, and can certainly bring us into a deeper union with God through St. Joseph. You know, when I look at them, vulnerability, littleness, silence, hiddenness, that they're so anti-world ideas. That's exactly what I was saying. I mean, like, like yeah. when you, like in all aspects of the world, but that's how we find God, you know, particularly vulnerability. You know, a lot of times, you know, even like littleness, people think like, I have to make myself big. But like at the same time, it's when we make ourselves small, that's that's when we really encounter the Lord. Um, and St. Joseph did that. I mean, I think there's too many masks that people put on in our society, all types of people, you know, from you know, religious to, you know, lay people. We, some, some impose, some self-imposed. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. But, that's but, right. That's right. But in to do those things, expose yourself. And it's in that exposure that Christ, you know, comes to us. Could you talk a little bit about that? Because it's so anti-society in a sense, but it's the, it's the path to holiness and to God. Well, we can always look at the example of human relationships. It's one of the things that's most helpful and understanding how to go deeper in our relationship with God is look at the analogy of human relationships. And, and we've all experienced what happens when we have the courage to open our hearts to someone who can actually receive us and understand and, and treat with reverence that precious gift that we've shared. When we take the risk of being vulnerable with another human being, which is the only way that relationships grow. If someone doesn't know what I'm talking about, it's a sign that they haven't really entered into relationships that can grow deeply. And, and that's a sadness, uh, although then let this be a call to, to, to uh, act, a call to action and, and take the risk, open your heart, share what's going on inside. And, and that's the way that we interpret reality. That's the way that we process things. That's the way that we feel about things. That's our, our hidden thoughts. 
I remember what a challenge it was for me when I was dating in college. And I had a lot of stuff inside that I, I didn't know exactly what to do with. And the girl that I was dating really challenged me at some point. She said, just speak it, just say what's going on inside of you. And it was a big risk, but I, I felt the, the joy of being able to open my heart and say, the, say what was going on. And then to be received with understanding and love. And uh, that's, that's the way that relationships grow deeper. And the same is true about our relationship with God. And we do that best when we have some expectation that the person is trustworthy and is going to take care of that mystery that we open up, the mystery of our hearts. And that's where we have in St. Joseph a protector who is able, he actually receives the self-revelation of God, right? What is the secret that God has hidden in his heart? It's Jesus Christ. The, the word was in the bosom of the Father from all eternity. And that word was made flesh and dwelt among us, first of all, in the womb of Mary. And then the first one to know about it is St. Joseph, who protects that mystery. And so there's nobody more trustworthy. And he becomes a bridge towards our, our relationship with God that we can trust his power to protect, his, his trustworthiness, and then he can help us to open up that way to God. And, and that's the way that intimacy develops. Intimacy, very simply said, is sharing interiority. When the inside of me is inside of you, then there is intimacy. <laughs> but that requires me to open up the inside of me. And then I need to be sure that you're going to take care of that. And, and that's where vulnerability meets trustworthiness and St. Joseph's love. Excellent, Father. It's funny. You're at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Rasinello having an excellent conversation with Father Boniface Hicks, and we're discussing his new book, Through the Heart of St. Joseph. Father, when I woke up this morning, I was, I'm, uh, you know, I pray every day, right? I'm trying to make sure that I develop that relationship that you're talking about. But man, we mentioned earlier about distractions and everything else. And as I was getting in the car, um, I say, I was saying to myself, Lord, I need to trust in you more. I need to, and obviously that requires humility. And then I'm, you know, out of that trust um, comes courage because when you trust in the Lord, then you have the courage to, to move forward. Who are some of the saints uh, who lived what you call the Joseph option, uh, showing us how to embrace that life of, of humble trust and, and then the consequent, the consequential, you know, uh, you know, steadfast courage that we need to move forward. Well, the, the last chapter of my book I entitled The Joseph Option, and it was intended to be a little play on Roger Ayer's The Benedict Option. He points us back to St. Benedict and his rule, which, of course, I live. I'm a Benedictine. That's my life. And so I claim a, a, a place to say St. Benedict actually chose the Joseph Option. So he would be my first exemplar. And I really think that a Benedictine monastery is meant to be a, a kind of Nazareth, that where uh, St. Benedict sets as the keynote of the rule, we know that God's presence is always with us. And then he arranges the whole rule to help the monk be aware of God's presence in every aspect of life. And that's really what St. Joseph lived. He was in the divine presence all the time. And he, like us, had to continually make an act of faith. Jesus looked like a little boy. He didn't look like sort of some shining object or something. And so Joseph had to remember he was in the divine presence. And that's what we also have to do. So St. Benedict really created another Nazareth in that way. It's funny you mentioned that because I always, one of my inspirations is St. Benedict. Um, because one of the things that I'm, I, I'm so impressed by historically is that Europe, people need to remember 
Um, just to give a little shout out to St. Benedict, people need to remember Europe was a basket case of savagery, all right, paganism, um, brutality, um, barbarity, all right. It was Benedict and his rule that civilized Europe. His his rule, the monasteries, particularly in Germany that were set up, they had a civilizing effect on society. They enabled society to, to, to develop. Whereas before it was, let's face it, I mean, constant war going back and forth with the Roman empire. It was Benedict and his rule that did that. So I wanted to mention that a little shout out to, to St. Benedict. We need to have a little Benedictine monasticism in the United States. We need to get a little civility back. Yeah, maybe we'll see it. You never know. <laughs> Life is funny and things come full circle. You were going to say father. Well, and, and again, St. Benedict, I would say, drew his inspiration from St. Joseph, directly or indirectly. And so that's where I think this year of St. Joseph is such a great gift for us in, in learning some of those values that, that flow through the Benedictine rule. And, and really, he's forming Nazareth all over the place, forming a place where there is order, where there is love, where there is God's presence in the midst of work, in the midst of meals, in the midst of receiving guests, in following the, the orders of the abbot, but also respecting the voice of God spoken through the young, caring for God and the sick, all that's in the rule of St. Benedict. All of that's very much in the life of St. Joseph. And so that's my kind of first exemplar of the Joseph option, which is essentially to form a Nazareth, forming an environment that other people can come to know St. Joseph and can live according to those virtues. And then other, other examples are St. Teresa of Avila, who really placed Saint, uh, the, her, her Carmelite reform under the care of St. Joseph. The, uh, the first reformed monastery in Avila was St. Was Joseph Monastery, and she had a great devotion for St. Joseph and promoted him. St. Francis de Sales placed the care of seminarians and evangelization under the uh, protection, the patronage of St. Joseph and promoted him uh, a great deal, really spread a lot of devotion, had a very strong personal devotion and high Josephology. And then just little saints also, you may not feel like a St. Teresa of Avila or a St. Francis de Sales, but can't any one of us be a St. Andre Bessette? He was, mm. uh, he considered himself the little dog of St. Joseph, mm. his little puppy. And uh, all of us can have the capacity for that to just love St. Joseph and stay close to him that way and let St. Joseph work through his life. And then another saint, a little bit less known, but all, who had a great devotion to St. Joseph the same time as Andre Bessette was St. Bernadette Subaru, who received the revelation of Mary in the cave of Masabiel. And she saw the cave as being St. Joseph. Mary appears under the protection of St. Joseph in the cave. And when she wanted to remember the cave, she went and prayed in front in the chapel of St. Joseph in her monastery many years later and was eventually buried for 30 years in the chapel of St. Joseph before they created a kind of special place to, to put her body after her cause for canonization and things like that. But she had a, a close relationship, a very hidden relationship with St. Joseph. And so in, in whether one, one of these saints or another, it can be an example for any one of us, I think, to follow in, in our devotion to St. Joseph. Excellent. You know, sadly, I think Joseph's forgotten a lot because of the things that you mentioned, his littleness, his silence. Um, but one of the things that I always focus on, um, I have obviously, I'm named Joseph and I have a devotion to St. <laughs> <Saint> Joseph. <laughs> uh, my wife and I 
uh, pray a perpetual adora- uh, novena to St. Joseph every night. Um, but one of the things that I always admired about him was the virtue of obedience. Joseph was obedient. And I think this is a virtue that's forgotten um, across the spectrum of our society. You know, in order to, you know, we forget, I mean, disciple means follower. You know, we must follow Christ. And in order to follow someone, we must be obedient to them. Talk about the need for obedience. I mean, you know, we live in this society. We have so many people. We're all educated. A lot of people have, you know, degrees and, and you know, there's a lot of sophistication in this current society, you know, that we live in. But yet the idea of obedience is lost. And if we lose that, we can't follow Christ the way he intends us to, like a child. Talk about that. I think that's something that people need to hear. I need to hear it. Well, I think there are a couple of dimensions of obedience that we could look at and and see in the life of St. Joseph. One is obedience calls him to do more than he sees himself capable of. And that's a I think the best way to read that passage of the Annunciation to St. Joseph, why does he want to separate himself from the holiest, most beautiful woman who has ever lived? Uh, because he considers himself unworthy to be part of the mysteries that is unfolding in her womb as she is found with child of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and so he's going to remove himself slowly so as not to unveil her mystery. And God calls him into that and says, no, I want you to be part of this mystery. I'm going to empower you. I'll make you capable. And so obedience sometimes calls us into what we think ourselves not capable of. And we're summoned on. And that's really the role of a father in general who sends his child on mission. And and Joseph, in an amazing way, would be given an authority over the Son of God. Giving him the name Jesus is ultimately giving him his mission. Yeshua, God saves, is the the mission that is given to the, the, the son entrusted to Joseph's care. So he does that, and, and Joseph likewise has authority over the Son of God. And when they, they find him in the temple, and he goes back to Nazareth and becomes obedient to them as he grows in grace and wisdom and, uh, and, and stature before God and men. So uh, Joseph both receives obedience, being called into something he may not, he doesn't consider himself able to do. He also wields in obedience uh, and an authority over God himself. So we see that God himself becomes obedient. So it's not just a virtue of the lesser. I think that's part of the problem that we have is inferiors are obedient and superiors have authority. Uh, but that's not morally superior or uh is superior in holiness. That's simply an arrangement of, of God's world that he himself fits into. Another way that we see obedience in St. Joseph is he doesn't necessarily know what the best solution is. He doesn't know about Herod uh, slaughtering the innocents. He finds out about that. His initial impulse may have been out of a manly stature with strength and vigor in his bones to say, let's raise an army and defeat Herod. But instead of that, God says, take the child and his mother and go to Egypt. And so St. Joseph is obedient, maybe different than what he would have wanted to do as a man ready to protect his family and the other innocents in, in Bethlehem. But he is obedient and he trusts that God's plan is better than his plan. And so when we have a number of goods to choose from, obedience also helps us to choose 
the good that God knows is best rather than focusing on our own ideas. And that's like you said, Joe, there's so much in science and sophistication and education. We have this intellectual pride that I know what's best all the time. And then there's kind of a, a third obedience that we would see Joseph living out in Nazareth, which is arranging the life of the household. Some things are arbitrary. You know, should we, what should the speed limit be? Well, there's some meaning to that, but ultimately 55, 65, 75, I mean, it's all about the same. Somebody has to decide and we need to live according to that. There's a certain amount of authority that just brings order to things. And you know, even uh, in, in terms of health and society and a lot of other things, there's a certain amount of arbitrariness, but we need to coordinate and somebody needs to be the coordinator. And in the household in Nazareth, Joseph himself was the coordinator for the Son of God to arrange the life of the household. So, so I think those three different aspects of obedience are things we can learn from Joseph. I, I, I think... Um... I think an important point, you use an important word there, Father, and it speaks to what Joe asked about obedience, okay? In order to be obedient, you have to you have to acknowledge that there is an order. There is an order. And it seems like what we're up against these days is a, a, a rebellion. I mean, it goes back to the beginning, of course, you know, goes back to the garden, but nonetheless, it still plays out now in human history. Is always this rebellion against the logos, against the order of, of things. And then that produces that lack of obedience that Joe's talking about where everything goes. I don't have to listen to, I don't have to listen to God. I don't have to listen to the church. I don't have to listen to anything. We have to have, we have to understand that is a path to destruction. We have to emphasize that that to be obedient to God provides that order that can enable us to flourish in life, which, and go to heaven ultimately, because that's what God wants for us. You taught, there's so much there that you discussed. And, you know, what I picked up on initially was like, God's way is better than our way. <laughs> like, like that has not sunk into mankind. You know, one of the things that I sometimes shake my head at, and I guess to, to, to a degree, I'm guilty of it too, but our Catholic faith, it's all written down. I always say when I used to teach RCIA and do things, I used to say, it's painting by numbers. You read it, you do it. You read it, you do it. And God gives us grace, obviously. But for something, maybe I'm just a simpleton, but that's the way I see it. You read it, you do it. But somehow it doesn't work that way. Like, like in a sense, and it, it boggles my mind sometimes where I just say, well, how could one, whether they're a, the laity or in the, you know, like the clergy see it this way because it's written down. Like, I guess it's, it's the fall of man that, that in there's pride there. But again, I like to hear your comments on that because I sometimes when I see things and I just say, I don't know how one could come to this conclusion because it's written down. You either believe it or you don't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and clearly you don't because it's it's there on the page. Talk a little bit about well, that. Well, I think there are some some areas where uh, it is a challenge of faith. I mean, that's that's part of it. It takes faith to see. And, and that which has been revealed by God is not fully accessible to our natural faculties. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I, I think of someone like Jordan Peterson, who's magnificent, who understands the Christian faith better than almost all Christians. And yet he, he can't take the step. He can't mm-hmm. take the step, you know. So anyway, there's, there is something about faith there that's a, that's a gift and uh, needs to be cultivated. And so that's a little bit. But, you know, to look at the life of St. Joseph— 
uh, he didn't have a playbook, right? It wasn't written down for him. And, and he had to follow God leading him through these pathways that were challenging. The, the scenario that I just painted for you in terms of whether in finding out that Herod is going to slaughter the innocents in Bethlehem, Joseph has two options. Does he abandon all those other innocents in order to take his son away to Egypt? And so there's there's a real debate there. Now, he had a supernatural revelation, although he woke up from a dream knowing that it was a dream also. I mean, his dreams were, I don't know, they had a quality that he could trust them, but it still required trust. And sometimes there are difficult situations in life that we're not totally clear which path to take. It's it's not written down in that sense. And that's where we have to learn how to internalize the word. And that's not automatic. That's not, in a sense, paint by numbers. We learn to internalize the word by painting by numbers. But at the end of our life, we're meant to be painters, not just paint by number people, because we've internalized the logic behind the colors and shapes and what goes where. And and for those who have gone that that route, you know, you and I originally met in Calcutta and, and we see someone in Mother Teresa, there was no pattern for what she did. I mean, she forged new territory in the church and there was a lot of struggle around that. They said, you know, you should be a political activist. Why are you wasting your time picking up these half dead people off the street? You know, you could be doing so many more important things, but, but she was able to, because she had internalized the logic so much, then she could live it out in the unique situations that presented themselves in her life. Yeah, it's a good analogy. I, I, I was reminded when you said that, well, you could be a political activist. You could do this. You could do that. Why are you picking up the, up the half dead person on the street? Yeah, and I, I was struck as you were saying that, that didn't Judas say, you know, why are we using that ointment? We could sell it for 300 bucks or whatever the That's currency right. was at the time, kind of neglecting the spiritual, which is the most important thing. You know, uh, we're going to take a break, Father, just for a second, okay? You're at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. We're way in the breach with Father Boniface Hicks, and we are discussing St. Joseph, particularly Father Hicks's new book, Through the Heart of St. Joseph, on the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to follow Joe and I on Facebook and YouTube. Like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. And as I said, we're just going to take a break for a minute, and we'll be right back. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello, way in the breach with Father Boniface Hicks, and we are discussing Father Hicks's new book, Through the Heart of St. Joseph. This is a great conversation with that. I'm going to hand it over to Joe Resinello. Father, I actually learned this recently. I didn't know it, um, and I'm sure a lot of people may not know this as well, that St. Joseph appeared at the apparitions of Fatima as well as in Nock. Could you talk a little bit about that? Um, I think it would be an interesting little tidbit. I had no idea about that, by yeah, the way. I, I had no, no clue I, whatsoever. Just doing research for this, I came across it. I thought it was interesting. I may need a reminder about the apparition in Nock. I, I remember that that was the case. Uh, I don't remember the details as well. but I'll I don't think Fatima. he said anything there either either actually i think he just stood there to be truthful with you which is fitting yeah yeah that's right um 
Yeah, certainly at, at the last apparition at Fatima, the uh, St. Joseph was there with Our Lady and St. Joseph was holding Jesus, if I remember correctly. And that was at the, the I believe that was at the miracle of the sun, that that final apparition. And so uh, well seen. It's it's kind of fascinating, right? I mean, uh, I don't know that there's a sort of definitive interpretation of what that means, but, but I see it in light of a, a number of other things that are happening in our time in the renewal of devotion to St. Joseph. We, we spent so many centuries in the church focusing on Jesus and Mary, which is absolutely appropriate. And there are so many things about that relationship and about the role of Our Lady uniquely as the heart and center of the church, as the, the preeminent disciple. And so she's a model for the, the bridal church and for the, uh, the response that we are called to give and so many things. She plays a, a unique role that way. But but also Jesus, Mary, and Joseph are a family. And ultimately God redeemed the world through a family as he created the world through a family. And he wasn't going to entrust Jesus to Mary until she was married. So in that sense, the marriage of Joseph and Mary bore the fruit of Jesus, not because of physical union uh, in, in, uh, in marriage, but rather through the marriage, then God uh, overshadowed Mary by the Holy Spirit and conceived in her womb the, the Word made flesh. And so, so God really was intentional about redeeming the world through a family, and he creates this perfect family. And I think that's become more of a theological consensus that Joseph was also without sin. He wasn't the immaculate conception, but he was sanctified, perhaps in the womb, but then subsequently didn't commit actual sin. But So we would have really the perfect example. What does the perfect family look like? And I think at the end of the Fatima revelation in particular, particular, the, the emphasis on the family, the renewal of the family, and certainly be un, being united in penance and prayer, uh, and, and coming as a kind of vanguard against all of the attacks. I mean, hell has been unleashed against the family in the last hundred years, and it just gets worse and worse, it seems. And we need the, the holy family, so that includes St. Joseph. We need that more and more. And certainly a, a renewal of fatherhood as part of that. Part of what's broken the family has been the loss of fatherhood and the, uh, the derogation of fatherhood and the, uh, the absence of fatherhood. So, so I think St. Joseph really steps into those roles. And I would see that as part of uh, the, the divine logic in, in bringing him into those Marian apparitions at, at Nock and also at Fatima. It's a good bridge that we're talking about Fatima because St. Lucia said, um, one of the children at Fatima, that the final attack would be on the family. And I think, like you said, we're seeing that um, it, it's intensified. Um, we're seeing a lot of fatherlessness in, in America. Would you say that that's probably the most pressing pop problem, in, at least in our culture? Is, is the lack of fathers? I, I mean, it's big. I mean, I, I can't think of anything. I mean, I mean, you can think of other things, but fatherlessness has to be central to our problems. Well, I mean, I could even see to, uh, I mean, I'll tell you something personal. I, I have four children. My wife's pregnant number five. So pray for her. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, but say I'm downstairs. Uh, I sneak away downstairs to check my email. I'll do that periodically. I shouldn't do it as much. I have to be a little bit more regimented and disciplined about it. Um, and I'll hear upstairs my wife with my four children who are under seven and there's chaos. But when I go upstairs, there isn't. 
it calms down. And I just note that for myself, that's just a a step down the stairs. Um, That's why I say I have to be more disciplined about checking things, do it in the morning or at night alone. I have to work on that. I have the last two lengths. I still fail at it. But my point is, that's just a small indication of the lack of a father like in the immediate area to, to maintain like a little bit of semblance of order. And I think that her comments, the final attack on the family, is that fatherlessness. Talk about that, because I think the world needs Joseph. I, it's very, as Father Calloway said about your book, it's providential, I think, that we're talking about this. And the book is Through um, through the Heart of Joseph, and we are talking to, yes, Through the Heart of St. Joseph. We're talking to Father Boniface Hicks at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Resinello. Uh Go ahead, Father. Yeah, I think that... The attack on fatherhood ultimately is an attack on God, right? I mean, Satan hates the fatherhood of God. And so he's worked in various ways to undermine human fatherhood, which is meant to be an emanation, a shadow of that heavenly fatherhood. And so a restoration of fatherhood restores the image of God the Father to be present in our world. You fathers and I in my spiritual fatherhood, we're meant to be sacramental We're meant to present, be a sign of God's fatherhood and actually embody that in various ways. St. Joseph does that in a preeminent way, right? Because God's own son was entrusted to St. Joseph in his humanity. So uh, St. Joseph is meant to be an, an extension of, an icon of God the Father for the very son of God. And he can do that. And I see him and I talk about him in the book in terms of kind of filling in the holes. You know, every, of course, every human father is limited. We're, we're, we're limited by our sinfulness. We're limited just by our humanity. And, and none of us can be the heavenly father. Uh, but St. Joseph has a way of filling in some of the holes. So uh, maybe one father is, uh, is a little too strong. Another is a little too distant. One is a, a hard worker, but a little less sensitive. One is more sensitive, but not hard enough. Where, anyway, we have a lot of different... Uh, ways. And then every father can only be in one place at one time, whereas children need a father 24-7. And so there's a way that St. Joseph kind of fills in the holes. That's what I think of it as in the the fatherhood that we're able to provide. So coming to know him, looking to his example, emulating him for fathers, and then uh, also receiving his fatherhood, I think is a is a great healing for things in our society. But, but you're so right that a restoration of fatherhood is a, is a critical need in our time. Now we could kind of go either way and say, well, maybe we can restore worship so that we can restore fatherhood or we can restore fatherhood so that we restore the image of God that we come before in worship. Anyway, there's a lot of things that kind of go hand in hand, I think, but, uh, but it it certainly is a a central theme and, and, uh, something that's in terms of the family. So, so centrally under attack. You know, I, I think, you know, I used to do some marriage prep work, my wife and I, um, early on in our marriage, we would speak uh, to couples. I think there's a lack of understanding what the, the marriage is. You know, what I see when, when young people would come to the parish and, you know, we would give a talk to them, you know, marriage is sacrificial and the father sacrifice, you know, the wife sacrifices maybe even more so because it's her very body that is sacrificed when you have children, but a man sacrifices 
for you know the family and i think that's what's missing if you ask me in this this uh gap that we're seeing in the culture um people don't understand that going in to to, to marriage they don't understand that marriage is not something you're i always used to say it's not what you give it's what you it's not what you get it's what you give the shame of it is is that we've seen this we've seen this um this evolution, if you will, in our lifetimes, because uh, Joe and I will be the first one to say, I mean, growing up in Newark, New Jersey, we didn't have St. Joseph's. Okay. I mean, as far as let's say the model is concerned, we had good fathers, but the, but the, the recognizable difference between those fathers growing up in the seventies and today, not in all cases, of course, we don't want to be too general, but, but enough to be a problem in our culture is that back then, you saw father's sacrifice. You really, really did. Um, our own fathers in particular, but the, uh, the fathers of our friends, it was part of the ethos of the community is that the father just naturally sacrificed. There's no sacrifice nowadays, father. There's, there's, there's very little. You don't, you don't see it as pronounced. It's a I dirty think. word almost. Yeah, if you, say, if you say, you know, talk about that need, Father Hicks. Father Boniface Hicks is at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasolo, Joe Resinello on the Veritas Catholic Network. Talk about that need, Father, to recognize and start to sacrifice in our lives as men and as fathers. Yeah, the quality of fatherhood in terms of, uh, you know, I talk about this a little bit in Chapter 5 in my book, uh, looking at St. Joseph as a model of perseverance in suffering and Instead of uh, eliminating suffering, which is ultimately impossible, or avoiding suffering, which will lead to a fairly empty life uh, and also be impossible, how do we persevere in suffering? And, and God has given us an emotional structure. The, the traditional breakdown is, is into the irascible appetites and the concupiscible appetites. So the, uh, the energy emotions, irascible is revolving around anger, but also includes hope for that good that's uh, hard to achieve or um, involves audacity, courage to confront that evil that's that's hard to defeat, and anger in the moment, which contains both hope and courage in it to overcome the evil that's present, as well as a capacity to suffer that evil that's present. But that's where you see a, a manly heart. You know, we men are, are meant to uh, specialize, we could say, in those irascible appetites. We're also called to have sensitive hearts. The concupiscible appetites, those humane emotions are important, that we should have a sensitivity, a compassion, a, uh, a capacity to suffer the evil and also to, to enjoy, to uh, savor the good. Those are all part of those, those concupiscible appetites. But, but to have men with courageous hearts who can, def- who can battle evil, is is so critical and that and that's going to involve sacrifice because i'm always putting myself on the line to one degree or another you use these great images about being on the front line and standing in the breach going into the breach that that there's something broken in our world there's there's something ripped apart in the structure of reality by sin and evil which turns in on itself and self-centeredness and self-indulgence that we're willing to sacrifice others to serve ourselves but that's all remedied in the example of christ and by his power that we sacrifice ourselves in the service of others. There's no love without sacrifice. And, and real love is demonstrated through sacrifice. And that's the love that begins to remedy and to heal reality, the whole 
breach, the brokenness in our world itself. And that's where we see a courageous man like St. Joseph, not in flashy ways, but in obedience and humility and silence, who is willing to stand in the breach, who's willing to suffer to carry out God's command, take his family to Egypt, to be a, a day laborer and, and work to, for, to take care of his family, to form his son into trade. And his faithfulness is carried out at great personal cost. He's a man with a strong heart who knows how to sacrifice in order to care for those he loves. Absolutely. And I just want to make one other point on that, Father, is that, and this may sound judgmental, but I quite frankly don't care because we're at the front line with Joe and Joe. Um, when I th- read, when you when you read 20th century history, when you know a so, little something about the events that took place after the uh, Japanese attack Pearl Harbor, men in this country left their families. They volunteered the next day to go to war, to go into the army, to go into the military, to fight that battle. How much more important is it to fight the spiritual battle that that sacrifice that they made then uh, in in a military battle is what we need to fight the spiritual battle? And I'm sorry, Father, this is why I say it sounds judgmental. This generation needs some help in that regard. They need to learn the lesson of sacrifice. Well, I think they will. Um, Something we always touch upon is the world needs saints, Father, and God will raise them up. God will. In in times of darkness, he always does. I have great faith in that. Um, God will right the ship, and he'll do it through through us. We all have our part to play. Um, We just have to go to the well and do those things that you talked about, being vulnerable, being little, being silent, being hidden, and then God will fill us. I'm convinced of it. Why is St. Joseph the terror of demons when you pray the litany of Joseph? Why do they say that? I mean, every time I, I, I hear that, I say to myself, good Lord, the terror of demons. I feel every time I every time I pray, because I pray St. Joseph every day, every time I say St. Joseph, terror of demons, patron of fathers and workers, pray for us. But on the terror of demons part, I see myself given like a left hook to a demon. There's like, like it's my way. It's my way of throwing a left hook at, at one of the diabolical demons, right? By saying St. Joseph, terror of demons go you know get rid of them (laughs) why is that father (laughs) well you know i i don't actually know where that title came from i was kind of hoping father calloway did such wonderful research for for his book i was really reading with uh eager intent and uh he doesn't explain the origin of it either so (laughs) it's interesting I, i think we could see it in a couple of ways what we've already talked about is the rationale that father calloway gives that St. Joseph is the image of the Father, and there's nothing that terrorizes demons more than the Father. The demons have fundamentally rejected the Father, have refused to be obedient to the Father. And so St. Joseph's imaging of the demons uh, is a, is a, infuri- or the Im- imaging of the Father is infuriating to the demons. And so um, that's, that's his uh, rationale, which I think is excellent. I, I sort of took it a, in another perspective, from the early church, they saw St. Joseph as being a veil for the Holy Family. And I think as we have a devotion to the cloak of St. Joseph, I like to think of it as a cloaking device. And there's something terrorizing about the enemy you can't see. And in the early church, uh, Ignatius of Antioch said that St. Joseph uh, hid the Holy Family from the demon's view. And the explanation he gives is that the Satan was looking for a, a virgin, not for a married woman. 
And so the marriage to Joseph is what hides the holy family from the demon's view. And if you think about it, the only thing that sends him into a fury against the holy family is when the, is when the magi tip off Herod. The magi are the one that the ones that let Herod, certainly demon-possessed, know about the existence of Jesus. But he still didn't know who he was or where he was. And so he just kills everything, you know, kills all of the children under the age of two. But but Joseph is like a cloaking device. And I think in the same way that we're terrified of things of the enemy we can't see, I think the demon is terrified of Joseph because he could come at him from any direction. St. Joseph hides us away, and St. Joseph can attack the demon from any direction. And I think he's terrorized by that and then he could land that left hook that i was that's right exactly (laughs) i love it i love it Uh, obviously pope francis declared a year of saint joseph from from the perspective of the church why is that significant i mean you know obviously that was something a bold uh uh, declaration why is that significant as far as i know it's the first year of saint joseph ever yes it is in the history of the church and so uh, that's a big deal i mean He's, uh, he's doing it in honor of the 150th anniversary of the Declaration of St. Joseph as patron of the church. And, and that connection is very straightforward because Mary is totally identified with the church. She's the church's center and figure and the church's uh, uh, realization in heaven. So she is identified with the church and Joseph is the protector of Mary. And so he is... The protector of the church by extension. That was the logic of Pius IX in declaring that uh, beautiful title. And, and Pope Francis is hearkening back to that declaration, raising up St. Joseph in a way that he never has before. And that's what we keep seeing with St. Joseph, all of these firsts. And, and starting with Pius IX, declaring him patron of the church, but then every pope since then has, has written, published, and then also put into the liturgy something significant about St. Joseph. We think of him being added to the Roman canon at Vatican II, and then added to all of the other Eucharistic prayers by a combination of Pope Benedict and Pope Francis. We see a, a, an apostolic letter written about him by Pope John Paul II. We see the various declarations made about him. So he's sort of been in increasing devotion. And then actually we see in Pope Francis, the first pope to have an image of St. Joseph in his coat of arms, And then also he was inaugurated on the Feast of St. Joseph. So, again, it's this kind of building uh, appreciation, devotion to St. Joseph. And then a year of St. Joseph focuses the attention of all of the faithful on him. And now I had already started writing this book several years before the year of St. Joseph. It kind of pushed me to a conclusion. And I'm sure I talk about him a bit more than other people because of the book. But I can say everybody's talking about St. Joseph. It's amazing. Just like Father Calloway said, it's amazing that we're in the time of St. Joseph. And that's spontaneous and universal. And I have to say, even Pope Francis, who declared the year, has not talked about St. Joseph that much. So it wasn't just like his own personal thing that he couldn't wait to talk about St. Joseph a lot. He really hasn't mentioned the year very much in his papal decrees, although he did add some titles to the litany that would be worth uh, reflecting on as well. But Pope Francis hasn't talked about him that much, but we see even without 
anything more than declaring the year, there's been this eruption across the whole world. Everybody's been ready for this and, and has been excited about this and a lot of thoughts and, and devotion and prayer and, and other things. So I think it's just uh, it's taking the lid off of something that was kind of bubbling beneath the surface. And now we're really seeing this emergence of St. Joseph. You know what I find interesting? I've heard this, uh, this said that outside of Jesus and Mary, the holiest person was Joseph. You know, obviously all saints are in union with God. But what I find interesting with that is he was completely silent and he was like just a regular person. And that's who God used. Like you, if you ever seen the movie, it's a Protestant movie, but I think it was well done. The nativity. The depiction of Joseph there is so beautiful. Love it. And I, and I loved when Gabriel goes to Mary and, and, you know, announces, you know, the birth of Christ to her. And she says, I'm nothing to this day that like sticks with me, like that God used these two people that were nothing and created something. And for me, as a person who's very regular, it, it really resonates. Um, talk about the normalcy of these two people and the significance of that, how God's greatness was magnified by both Mary's littleness and Joseph's like littleness. I'd also like you uh, along those same lines, Father, talk about why it's important for us again, like Joe said, these are, these are, I mean, obviously Mary is, is the immaculate conception, but, but as far as it goes, they're creatures, they're, they're normal people, very humble people, the need for us to identify with them so that when we're praying to them, we identify with them. Nobody did anything greater than Jesus and Mary, oh, excuse me, Mary and Joseph. Okay. Um, as far as amongst the, the, you know, the created order. Okay. Talk about our need along the lines of what Joe said to identify with that. And remember that in doing so we can do those great things. We all, we can, we could be that great because God will work through us. Talk a comment on that. Also, father, we have probably father have about six minutes. So knock yourself out. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Yeah. These are, these are beautiful points. And I, I guess uh, I would uh, look at it in just to cast that in a, in a slightly different light is to say, okay, so you have a, you have a kind of perfect humanity and you, you run divine grace through it. And what does it look like? And a lot of times we have this idea, well, probably he's like 700 pounds. He benches, you know, 16 cars. He's, uh, we have this idea of Superman is the result of, of running holiness, running grace through our humanity. And, and when we look at Joseph, we say, wow. So, so we have the, as you said, and that's, I think it's a very fine theological uh, opinion and, and well-regarded. He's the holiest next to Mary. And, and what does he look like? He looks like a, a regular Joe, to use the expression. He looks like an ordinary guy. And so our ordinariness isn't so far from holiness. And, and that's where we have a, a confusion. Sometimes we think it takes heroic actions, that it takes uh, some kind of, we have to travel across the sea. We've got to be a, a super, you know, Mr. Universe. We've got to be uh, the most talented, uh, the most brilliant, the, the most athletic, the most, you know, we have these ideas. No, no, we, we need to be faithful. We need to be loved and we need to love in return. And, and it's really love that's correlated with holiness, not these other extraordinary actions. And, and what did Joseph have preeminently? He had love. 
he knew God's love for him and was totally available to that. It's another way to look at obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, do what I command you. And of course we do what a beloved, what our what the loved one commands us because we trust and, and we're willing to do when somebody, we know somebody loves us, we know that they're not going to lead us astray. And, and that's where Joseph knew how loved he was and really loved God in return. And what did that look like? I guess it looked like ordinary carpentry work. Now he was identified with his work. They said, isn't this the carpenter's son? So Joseph was known as the carpenter. Uh, who's that guy over there? He's the carpenter. Um, you know, so you have something wrong with your house, go call the carpenter. Uh, so he was so identified with his work, but he wasn't so successful that he still had to offer the, make the offering of the poor. He offered two turtle doves in the temple to, to redeem his son. So it wasn't this kind of lifestyles of the rich and famous. He didn't have all of the, you know, he wasn't going to end up in Wikipedia because he was so tremendous at, at all of the things the world is, is fascinated by. But what does bring him there is, is that, that ordinariness that's done in love, extraordinary, ordinary things with extraordinary love, uh, little things with great love. And so uh, to your point, Joe, uh, the other Joe, uh, you know, how do we identify with him? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. We need to identify with and strive to live out our ordinary lives. We don't need to have, we don't need to reset our life, you know, pull out our current life and stick in a new life. We need to live the life that we have with extraordinary love, with great trust in divine providence, with giving God permission to do great things in us and to help us to do these little things with great love, to really live a life with Jesus and Mary. Gotcha. Just real quick, we have a couple minutes left, Father. How does one develop uh, devotion to Joseph if to say they don't have one currently? Well, those pathways again, uh, vulnerability and littleness, hiddenness and silence, those things really attract Joseph, we could say. Those are those are entryways, pathways by which we can get to know him. Certainly, uh, reading my book, I, that's why I wrote it, is to help people gr- develop devotion, to get to know St. Joseph. But starting with scripture, the first two chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke are where we find the predominance of the Joseph passages. And But the most fundamental thing is just talk to him. Tell him that you want to get to know him. Tell him that you want to develop a devotion to him. That's how I started. Honestly, I was kneeling in front of a statue of St. Joseph and I realized I didn't know him. And I just said, I want to know you, St. Joseph. Help me to get to know you. And 15 years later, later, I published a book. So uh, he really does want to reveal himself to us. And then a lot of little prayers. And certainly Father Calloway's book, I think, is magnificent. I also endorsed his book. It's on their uh, on their website. And uh, he really leads us day by day to know St. Joseph better. It gives us a lot of prayers to use, as I also do in my book. So praying to him fundamentally. I think that's important. One thing I will say, God, thank thank you, Lord Jesus, for my wife. My wife always um, finds ways of, of deepening our relationship with Christ. And so for the last several months, um, we've been uh, praying the consecration prayer to St. Joseph included in all our other prayers. The fruit is there. Could I tell you what it is? No, because it's that sometimes it's, it's intangible, but there's been definite fruit um, by praying to St. Joseph every day. Father, we have about a minute. Um, just a couple of final thoughts for our audience at the Veritas Catholic Network. And most importantly, where can people uh, where can people go to get your book so that they could read it and read about St. Joseph? 
Well, it's certainly available on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or whatever your favorite book dealer is. And then it's available from the publisher at stpaulcenter.com. And there you can see the endorsements and uh, some more information about the book. And uh, I'd say go to Joe. That's the uh, the word that was given in the Old Testament to go to the patriarch, Saint, uh, the patriarch Joseph. And we can say the same thing today. The Pope gave him to us, but God gave him to us first, and he's a remedy for so many troubles that we face personally and that uh, we face in our times. So go to Joe. Excellent. Great place to end it. Father Boniface Hicks, we want to thank you so much for coming back on the front line with Joe and Joe to discuss your new book, Through the Heart of St. Joseph. Everybody out there, go out and get it. Uh, So thank you, Father, and thank you, dear brothers and sisters, for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Network, bringing the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York metropolitan area, 1350 on your AM dial. For all Veritas content, please be sure to download our Veritas Catholic Network mobile app, and also please be sure to follow Joe and I on Facebook and YouTube until they shut us down, of course. Like, subscribe, share, hit the little bell for notifications, do all that fun stuff. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon. 